Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. For many of us, when we have to go somewhere, we just jump into our car and head to our destination. But for others, either out of necessity or out of choice, they turn to public transportation to get to the places they need to go. Here to talk about public transportation here in Northeast Ohio is India Birdsong. She is the CEO and general manager of our regional transit authority, RTA, who's gone through a tough time, like a lot of us during this pandemic. We're going to get caught up with what's going on with RTA with Ms. Birdsong. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. It's uh, fun to be here. Good morning. Before we talk a little bit about what's going with RTA these days, let's talk about you for a minute. How did you become involved in public transportation? I hate to use the phrase, is it something you fell into or is it something you had a passion for? Probably a little bit of both. Um, it's a, 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 I guess a, a convoluted answer. I probably fell into it by way of uh, community development. I actually was doing uh, community development in Chicago. And at the time, the CTA, the Chicago Transit Authority, was doing a redevelopment or redesign of their of their service, which is kind of like what we just did with NextGen. And uh, I ended up working uh, as a facilitator in their uh, sort of community outreach program for the South and the West Sides, and then uh, just kind of stuck around and ended up uh, being a planner and working in operations and so on and so forth. And it really just enhanced, I think, my ability to be a public servant and not necessarily work for nonprofit, but also kind of get back through public service. So now that you've been in this job for a year, how are things going? What's it been like for you? It's been interesting. So I just made uh, two years uh, this past September, but I always say if you separate the uh, pandemic time from when I started, I'm only six months in. So (laughs) the uh, pandemic started in in March of 2020, as everyone knows, and I started here in September of 2019. So it has been uh, quite a roller coaster ride, but it would have happened anywhere. You know, people say, oh, welcome to Cleveland. I'm so sorry you had to go through this. And I say, well, I could be anywhere in the world and I'm still going through it. So I appreciate the the, the sympathy on that part. (laughs) But it's been it's been nice. Um, I will say that with the pandemic, it slowed down a little bit as far as being able to get out there and meet people physically as a newcomer to Cleveland. Uh, I am a Midwesterner, you know, from Chicago by way of Nashville and a couple other places on the East Coast. Um, and Cleveland has been pretty good to me so far. Everybody's been really warm and welcoming within reason. We're public transit. You're not always going to be everybody's best friend, but uh, people are honest in Cleveland and I appreciate that. Let's talk about that just for a second, because I think in, in the kind of job you're in, People will always come to you and say, Ms. Birdsong, I, the train was late. I missed my bus, didn't get here on time. Do people also come to you and say, wow, RTA really helped me out today? They do. You don't hear it as often uh, just because of the nature of the beast, right? I think the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? You kind of hear your, your mom and your aunt say that kind of thing. Um, so usually you, you hear the complaint first, but we do have those glimmers of, of hope and that light at the end of the tunnel where we have a lot of folks that really appreciate RTA and, and what it's done for them as far as connectivity. Uh, For example, we just had our last board meeting uh, a a week or two ago, and we were celebrating kind of like your your ADA national awareness. October is the month for that, for, you know, uh, ADA employment month and that kind of thing. And we really wanted to celebrate that. We actually have our our board chair. He was was our fashion model, so to speak, for a while and a couple of other (laughs) employees and also riders of paratransit. And we have them kind of plastered over the the front of three of our vehicles, including a light rail. And we brought them in to say, hey, this is really, a, uh, it's appropriate and it's appreciated. And, and they were there to kind of have a, a testimonial about how RTA um, helped them. It was funny because a couple of our board members panicked a little bit. They saw 10 or 12 uh, ADA customers come for public comment and they thought that we were in trouble. 
So it was funny that we actually were able to do the reverse and, and really have a good time. So it happens sometimes. And when it does, I, I think it kind of keeps you going. You've worked, as you mentioned, in transit systems, both in Chicago and Nashville. There are obviously some similarities here in Cleveland and differences. Can you talk about those? Sure. Um, very different, actually. Uh, we all do the same thing, right? We're trying to move people in mass and we're trying to do it uh, in a fiscally responsible manner and also collect monies from the public. So it can get a little tricky. Um, a lot of agencies are quasi-government um, so that you really are providing a public service, but you're also getting funding from the, the feds. You're also getting funding from different grant sources, federal, local match. There's a lot of different kind of financial arms that have their fingers in the pot. Chicago is a city that is uh, kind of born and bred on public transit. It's not a New York MTA situation, but you can get around fairly easily and uh, pretty reliably because of the network, I think, really helps out the way that it's structured. So I am a planner by trade, so I'll get a little you know, nerdy on you. When you look at the grid aspect of Chicago, everything is up and down. So it's very much like a, a grid that you would see on a piece of drafting paper, if you think about it like that. Um, so it's numeric. And then it's, of course, you've got the, the names. So if you are at uh, 9th and State, for example, that would be an intersection. And then you would go to 11th and State. You could go to th that kind of thing. So it's a little easy um, or easier numerically, alphabetically to be able to get around. Uh, because of that, the network can be linked in different areas where people can connect a little easier. Nashville is a little different beast. It's uh, very circular. You know, you have winding roads. It was not around as long, if you think about the city infrastructure. So it's becoming pretty heavily populated pretty quickly. Over the last 10, I say 10 to 12 years or so, um, you had about 125 people per day moving there uh, when I was there in, in 2015. Uh, and they're looking for housing. They're looking for transit. And it wasn't necessarily um, that kind of city. You know, you might be in your truck, you might be in your car, um, but you did have that subset of people who were really reliant upon it. So it's very different. Chicago, you've got a subset of folks. They take it every day. They don't think about it. doesn't matter what you do for a living. You could be a lawyer. You could be a janitor. You could be a teacher. And you take it and you get home and that's it. With Nashville, um, it really is a, a dependent on your economic strata, and they're trying to change that so that people understand that they can get around, and it's really a planner's kind of playground. Um, here in Cleveland, I think we're somewhere in the middle. We're considered a legacy system, so we were you know, maybe big 30, 40 years ago, 50 even when it comes to infrastructure, you know, the Carnegie era, that kind of thing. We've got the, uh, the rail, we've got the, uh, you know, line going in a shaker, for example, but it may not necessarily be invested in over time. So we have our rail cars, for example, that are upwards of almost 40 years old, which is really aged in the industry. You want to get to replacement time. Um, you've got a lot of infrastructure that has been there, but it perhaps needs to change because the travel patterns are different for people now. They, everybody's not coming into downtown to go to work. You don't necessarily have people coming to homes to work in their homes and, and going out into the suburbs. It's changing. So we have to be dynamic in that way. We have a big opportunity in Cleveland to make it a kind of Chicago, right? I'm not trying to turn it into a different city, but to make people think about transit first instead of thinking about it as a last resort. I think that's a big uh, cultural shift. We have to kind of get back to where people took it and felt safe and had no problem with it. Um, and we have a big opportunity to do that. Um, but we're starting probably from the halfway mark, which is nice. We don't necessarily have to build the infrastructure, right? We just have to take care of it and, and build upon it. How do you see the mission of RTA changing? Obviously, at the end of the day, you need to get people places, but is the mission changing in any way? Absolutely. It has to change. 
I think we are very operationally sound. We are technically astute, if you say it that way, but we have to be better neighbors. We have to be better community members. We have to be more assertive. We've got to be able to have a seat at the table. There's a lot of talk about kind of making uh, Cleveland, you know, in its city at some point and getting people to actually come back to Cleveland. Well, part of that is having a good transit system. Um, so the mission and the vision, we have recently changed it. It was very technical before. It was the the what. It was being safe and clean and reliable and on time. And that's great. We, we don't stop that. But in my view, that's the minimum of the product that we're, we're producing. If I'm not clean, if I'm not on safe, uh, safe, if I'm not on time, then what do you have, right? But we have to get to why are we here? So we actually changed it to the why instead of the, the how. So uh, we're basically connecting the community. Really simple, three words, <laughs> easy to remember. And it's the reason that we come here. So the purpose of that was that we get into innovation and we get into uh, expanding our services. We want to be able to connect people to resources. So we want to be able to connect you to daycare. We want to be able to connect you to the grocery store, to school, to work. That's our purpose. If we're safe and reliable and clean and we don't get you where you're going, we haven't accomplished anything. So we have to focus on the connections and then do the other things out of habit. Ridership has fallen over the years and that now that with the pandemic, that's made things even worse. Is there a level of ridership that you need to get to a certain level or, or is there other metrics you can use to judge the success of RTA? So I'm really excited that you asked that question. Uh, that's been a, a debate within the industry. Ridership has typically been the definition of how you succeed in public transit. And with the pandemic and travel patterns and people having the opportunity to work from home, you don't necessarily have to take that bus or train anymore to come into work. You can just sit in your living room and pop on your computer like we're talking now and you know, you've got your paycheck coming. Um, so what does that mean for us? We are very much attached to providing the service that we publish, right? So we're currently operating at 93% of where we used to normal operating levels. Um, throughout the pandemic, we only went down to 85%. That was not the same for a lot of our counterparts. You saw people slashing service down to 50 and 60%, but our headways were not as often. So the bus, the frequency wasn't as often at that point to be able to justify it you know, by half. So we said, if we're going to be able to run the bus every 45 minutes, half an hour, we have to continue to run it, right, to make it even worth the trip. Um, now with the next gen redesign, a lot of those routes that used to be 30 and 40 minutes have now been 15 and 20 minutes. So the frequency is better. We're currently about 65% of normal op or normal uh, ridership levels. So it, wa it wavers. Anywhere between 55 and 65%, I, I think, on a given day. I would love for us to get back up into the 80s. I think that that's a, a pretty assertive uh, goal. But if we can get to there by springtime, I think we'll, we'll be in better shape. It really has a lot to do with the economy and, and what employers are doing if they're requiring people to come back into work. If they're not, then I think we need to take another look at our system again and see where their travel patterns are happening. So maybe we need to get back out into the community instead of having people come into downtown areas quite as quickly. We also want to be able to support the, the housing kind of boom that's going on. But if we can get back up, I think, into the 70s and 80s, um, if, it, it would be great. We're seeing that there, it's inching slowly. So again, we're about 65%. But if we can bump that up by another uh, you know, 10 or 20% within the next six months, that would be ideal. But again, that's hoping everything works out as we emerge from the pandemic. 
India Birdsong joins us today for the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. Ms. Birdsong is the CEO and uh, General Manager of RTA, and we're glad to have her with us today. You are the first female CEO and the first black CEO of RTA. What do those milestones mean for you and for the organization in general? It means a lot. It, it, it also means that we've got a lot of work to do just by pure virtue of the, of the fact that, that you've got to ask me that, right? Because we have to highlight the fact. Uh, you know what? Honestly, I'm tired of asking that question in all candor. I hope one of these days we don't have to ask it anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It, it's something that should be celebrated. But then we have to think about, wow, we've got to celebrate it because we don't have it. Um, or it's very rare. So I just think, you know, it's 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 part of who I am. I, I honestly don't think about it too much until I see the general makeup of the room that I sit in. So if I walk into the room and I'm, you know, one of the uh, few or only black faces or one of the few or only female faces, then it, it kind of hits you later. But I look like a lot of the folks that ride our service. I look like a lot of the folks that operate our service and, and maintain our service. So in that respect, it allows me to really just be comfortable, I think, with what I, I'm doing. Um, but that also reminds me that I have to be able to make this a product that everyone wants to use, regardless of uh, ethnicity or race and that kind of thing. Um, I will say this, it does allow me to push the uh, the DEI, the diversity, equity and inclusion agenda, I think a, a little more swiftly um, because I, I am responsible for embodying what I want us to become. So it, it's no pressure or anything, but uh, it's it's great to be able to serve as an example of that. And it, it I try to be cognizant of um, who I may either uh, purposefully or, or inadvertently represent. It's it's on my back no matter what. Can you envision a time when RTA would eliminate fares? Um, that's a that's a good question as well. That, I've been asked that since I got here. We actually did an analysis on that, and I I believe our our back of the envelope was about forty million dollars to be able to identify in order to absorb that cost. So um, it becomes a financial. Uh, equation for me. If we're going to look at eliminating fares, first, we've got to be able to have a secure funding. We've got to be able to have a, a bigger investment by our state, by ODOT, uh, in transportation. They're, they're, they're getting there. We're working through it, and they're doing some great things to invest in our system now. Um, we're competing with roads and bridges and highways. It's just what it is. Um, so we have to be sort of on the docket for getting funding on an annual basis. We would have to, again, $40 million is what it costs us, basically, in order to be able to have that free fare. And that's a lot of money. People talk about a referendum. I was in Nashville. We had a referendum there. It did not pass at that time. It t- usually takes three or four tries. Cleveland has not gone to the ballot. Again, I think we have to be able to refine our product, and then we'll be in shape and fighting shape to do that probably in a, in a couple of years with the support of our board, of course. I think we can get there. But we have to have that funding. We've got to be able to have a dedicated funding source that we can rely on every year that is attributed to transit, whether it is increased uh, state funding, whether it is increased sales tax revenue. But we have to be able to have that. We can't play Russian roulette with our budget every year and then give free fares. We're a business like anyone else. So as long as we have that in in place, then, then we can work toward that. We talk about trying to increase ridership. How much of the fact that Cleveland, in some respects, is not a big traffic jam city? I know people who come in from 90 West downtown will disagree with me, but we were driving back from the airport a few weeks ago, albeit a Sunday night, and we were the only people on 90. And so I think to myself, you know, would people use public transportation when you look and say, well, I'll just jump on my car. It's going to be easy. 
Oh, absolutely. We're competing with that. We're competing with parking rates. Um, they're relatively low in Cleveland compared to other cities. I think it really comes down to how comfortable are you with public transit. Um, and that's when you get back into that clean, safe, reliable kind of thing. Um, if it takes you double the time to get to your destination and you have to transfer three times versus taking your car, right, then you're not going to take public transit. Let's, let's just be honest about it. So we have to be able to get to the point where we're having better connections, we're having uh, more frequency, we're having uh, less wait time. And then we also have to have amenities on that, that bus or that train that make people comfortable. You got to have uh, free Wi-Fi, which is something that we, we've accomplished. You got to be able to, to have comfortable uh, transit waiting stations that are well lit. You know, and I'm talking about the places you wait on the corner for the bus. You can't feel like you're on alert standing there waiting for the, the, the bus and the sun is beating down on you and you're getting wet from the rain. You got to be able to be in a situation where it competes with the comfort of your personal vehicle. Um, I don't think that we're there yet, but I don't think that that's uh, unimaginable. Those are things that can be done, again, with funding, with ingenuity and, and really good planning um, and being purposeful and making everything equitable. Um, so if a, if a bus breaks down in one area, it's got to break down in the other, right? Or if it's got to run successfully, it's got to run successfully everywhere else. Uh, I really think it's a comfort uh, thing. People generally are comfortable in their cars. They've got to be comfortable on public transit. So if we can work to make that uh, more attractive, I think we've got a shot. Regardless of what travel patterns are, people will say, well, why am I going to spend gas and why do I even have to drive? I can let somebody else do the work and I can do something else while I'm waiting for the, the bus. We often talk about economic impact, and I think when you speak to people about public transit sometimes, when I've talked to them, they'll say, well, I never ride the train. I don't ride the bus. You know, Why do I want my tax dollars to go to this? But there's a whole economic impact of people who do, who are part of the economy. How important is that? It's, it's essential to it. We find that the majority of our ridership comes from mid to low income uh, workers and mid to low income residents of Cleveland and greater Cleveland. So if you go to uh, an Indians or now Guardians game uh, or you go to a Browns game, it's not necessarily always the folks that are the ticket holders that are riding that service. A lot of times they are, but it's the, the third and, and, and first shift workers, right? or overnight graveyard shift workers that are prepping for the concession stands that are actually, you know, getting ready and, and doing the, the field maintenance. Those are the folks that are primarily on our service and they have to be at work by four in the morning or they've got to be at, you know, work by midnight or whatever it is. That's the backbone of Cleveland. And that's who we primarily serve. The quality of service doesn't go down because those folks make less per hour than your doctors and your lawyers. That's what we've got to remember. And if we can make it comfortable for those individuals, they are mo probably, I, I dare say, are our most discerning customers because they're looking at everything that's a reflection of what they do every day. So if you're doing public service, right, you're, you're serving the public somehow. You're a teacher, you're a janitor, you're a uh, secretary, whatever you're doing, that public service is your life. So if you hop on a bus or a train and it's, it's dirty, it's ill-equipped, it, the lights aren't working, that person is more likely to notice it, I think, than anyone else because they are, their life is, is connected to public service as well. So what I'm saying is that we've got to make it more comfortable and attractive for the folks that are sort of invisible within the, the, the kind of inner workings of Cleveland in order to make it attractive for other people. Because if we can have those folks rely on public service to get or public uh, transit, to get them to work on time with no problem, get them to daycare, get them to grocery stores. You're going to have a better experience overall as a city 
And that's going to be able to bring the people back into the fold, I think. If we can support that subsection of the population, I think, you know, it's kind of you, if you build it, they will come, then they will come. But if you can't convince your core uh, ridership that you have a good product, then you're kind of dead in the water. I realize the pandemic has kept all of us at home a lot more than usual, but do you have much of an opportunity to get at and actually use the product, get on, get on the rapid or get, get your bus and see what's going on? I do. I do. I think it's always there. Um, Regardless of what's going on with the pandemic, you've always got um, moving around downtown is always there, whether it's, you know, the trolley and we've reduced that a little bit as well. But whether it's hopping on that, whether it's hopping on the rapid, going to the airport, I think people are still doing things. Uh, We're just masked up. Um, And now we actually have places that are opening up. We are supporting a lot of the social activities that are just starting to come out uh, or come back. And uh, we look we look forward to it. So we're seeing that now the the item is: Are you overcrowded when you're still under by previous standards, right? So typically a crowded bus, a forty footer, might be sixty people or, or seventy people. Now if you've got forty, it's like, oh my god, I don't have my six feet. So you got to be able to also work within that um, to kind of reconfigure what is crowded look like and, and how can we continue to, to make service so we don't uh, go broke. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good goal. India Birdsong, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure talking about RTA. Thank you. India Birdsong is the CEO of RTA. She joined us for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with support of Weather Heavy Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Palata. Thank you for joining us and we'll talk again soon.